Boy, what a difference one day makes. If you could pack a year's worth of news into one day, that happened. America did it yesterday on March 11th, 2020 in the year of our Lord. It is the Sports Pen here in ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. I tell you what, um, I, I'm struggling to find the words right now. I really am. Because this coronavirus outbreak has instilled fear all across America. It is gripping me. I tell you what, I'm not afraid to let you all know I'm terrified of this. I really am. I really am. And it's not necessarily for myself, being somebody who's young and in relatively good health. I don't feel like it would be fatal for me if I were to become infected with it. Uh, however, I know that there's a lot of people who aren't in that situation and many loved ones, and that that's what terrifies me more than anything. It was just surreal yesterday. And I tell you what, um, I was uh, I was coming back from the Westwood Munising boys basketball game last night, and on my drive, my 45-minute drive from Munising to Westwood, I think I got at least half a year's worth of news packed into 45 minutes to the point where I couldn't decide, is this some kind of movie or a bad dream? I didn't know what was happening. But on my way back from Munising, I'm tuned into our station. I'm listening to Freddie and Fitzsimmons. They were on. It was just after 9 o'clock. And they keep breaking news at every turn. I hear that the president has suspended all travel to and from Europe for the next 30 days. And a little bit later, I learned that the Oklahoma City-Utah NBA game has been canceled because of uh, illness symptoms. Uh, some players had developed flu-like symptoms, and that game was straight up canceled. A little bit later, I hear that one of the players from those two teams, the Jazz and the Thunder, tested positive for coronavirus, but that player had not yet been identified. As I'm coming into Marquette, I'm approaching that roundabout on South Front Street. I hear that the NBA has suspended its season. Just like that. No basketball for the foreseeable future. And I said out loud, what the hell is happening here? Because I can't believe this. And then as I pull up to my office, just about a two-minute drive from that roundabout on South Front Street, I hear that the player that was diagnosed with coronavirus was identified as Rudy Gobert, one of the most talented defensive players in the NBA, the Stifle Tower international player from France. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Because I've never seen anything like this. And I don't know that a lot of us have ever seen anything like this. And then somebody will say, well, you're still young. You know, we've, we've got a few more experiences than you do. Which is absolutely true in most instances. But this, none of us have ever seen anything like this. And what's going on? Now, there are a few places that I want to go with this. First and foremost, though, I want to address a conversation that came on this week that was on the sports pen earlier this week with a friend of the show. And we have several talented media members from around the Marquette area that come on with us from other news outlets. They'll give their opinions on things. And I like doing that because I think it diversifies our, uh, our opinions that I'm not just making this some kind of echo chamber of my thoughts, what have you. But earlier this week, I feel that there were some remarks that were made that were not sensitive, uh, made by one of our friends of the show. Um, and one of these remarks included something to the effect that 
if you paid me $1,000 to kiss somebody on the mouth who has coronavirus, I would do it, that they're just not worried at all. And you know what? I tell you what, I wish I would have had the composure to put the kibosh on that right away. I was flustered. I was a little caught off guard with what happened with that. Uh, I do want people to know that that's not how ESPN-UP feels about the coronavirus and uh, that situation and that particular friend of the show is being addressed. Uh, We have and will continue to address that about just being sensitive because while something might not affect you, it certainly does affect others. So uh, I I do want to put that out there, that that's not reflective of how we feel here at ESPN-UP. And I'm under the belief that you know I really do try to look for the good in people in the sense that good people do stupid things and say dumb things. And what this friend of the show said was a dumb thing. And I'm hoping that, you know, I'm under the belief that people can educate themselves, people can grow, people can change, and that's what I'm hoping is that he's going to continue to become more educated on the situation and how to talk about it with more sensitivity. I did want to start with that and just clear the air on that because it's kind of ironic in the sense that this friend of the show is not worried about coronavirus. He's going to continue about his life as if there was no pandemic. Kind of similar to what Rudy Gobert did earlier this week. Because on Monday, there's video out there of this, and I wish I I was TV at some point so I could play some video for you all. But there's a video out there, and I encourage you to look it up if you can, of Rudy Gobert touching all these microphones when it was announced that the media would be restricted. They'd have restricted access to NBA players. And Rudy Gobert is saying, basically, this is stupid. He's making it a point to touch every microphone before he leaves the media room. And then two days later, he tests positive for coronavirus. Now, there are very few people in the country that have the platform that two particular individuals have. And one is the obvious one, that's the office of the president, that Donald Trump, uh, when it comes to coronavirus, he probably has the greatest platform in America as far as how we handle that. The other, though, I think you can make a strong case that the second largest platform for anyone in America as far as handling coronavirus is somebody who's not in politics. And I do believe that's Adam Silver, the commissioner of the National Basketball Association. Now, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what's happened here in the last few hours. As you listen to this, I'm on a bus heading to Sault Ste. Marie for the Westwood Girls basketball game. I recorded this this morning. I don't know what's happened here in the past few hours, but I do know that several other leagues have probably already followed the NBA's lead. Because the NBA is known as the Progressive Sports League. They're the trendsetters. Adam Silver is one of the commissioners that is viewed favorably. He is a popular commissioner. There are very few of those in pro sports. And the NBA is always the one that sets the trends. They set precedent for the other leagues. The NFL, they they don't have that kind of credibility. They got the platform, they don't have the credibility. Baseball, they don't quite have the platform that football or basketball have. And after the Astros scandal, they certainly don't have the credibility. And hockey just flat out doesn't have the platform. You think about a few other major leagues, whether that be the XFL, the MLS, they certainly don't have the platform in this country. And the NCAA, uh, I mean, they've got a pretty darn good platform, but do many people know who the commissioner is? 
I mean, do many people know Mark Emmert, let alone have an opinion on him? You think about some of the popular commissioners in pro sports in the U.S. today. Adam Silver's number one. I think Oliver Luck is probably number two. Oliver Luck of the XFL, I think, is very much number two if you take into account the popularity of commissioners in pro sports in America because it's certainly not Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman, or Rob Manfred. So why am I telling you? I'm telling you this because the NBA is the trendsetter league. Once they do something, usually the other leagues follow it. And now that they've suspended their season, they are suspending all operations until further notice, I'm interested to see how other leagues respond, if other leagues will do the same. Because we've got hockey going on right now, we've got the XFL, they've already announced that this Sunday when the uh, Wildcats visit Seattle, that game is going to be played in an empty stadium. We have got baseball starting here in about two weeks. We are trying to figure out what exactly is the next step going forward because there's absolutely no manual to handle something like this. And that might be the scariest part of this is the fear of the unknown. We don't know exactly what we're dealing with. And I get it. I get it. You know, the flu kills quite a bit of people. Uh, I, I get all that. I hear that. It's not a competition. It's really not. And, and this is what I'd like you to do for me. If you're listening at home, if as lo- basically as long as you're not driving, I want you to close your eyes with me. If you're, if you're driving, that's an obvious hard no, but focus for me here for a moment. Those who can, I want you to close your eyes with me, and I want you to think about an elderly family member. Think about your grandparents, your parents, aunt, uncle, an elderly family member. Then I want you to think of somebody who has an underlying respiratory problem, whether that be cardiac-related, maybe it's asthma, even someone who's a diabetic. Picture somebody in your life who has one of those problems. Now I want you to think of somebody who's a smoker. Can you see them? Those are all the people that could be at risk for this. You might not be yourself. You might think this is no more dangerous than the flu, and it might not be to you. But if you see what's going on worldwide, you see what's happening in Italy. I shared a video on my Twitter feed last night. It's on Pat McAfee's Twitter. If you get the opportunity, I encourage you to see it, because Chris Dunham, who played five years in the NFL is quarantined in Perma, Italy right now. And he posted a video of what's going on there. And it looks like it's out of some kind of dystopian movie. There are hazmat guys all over. Everything is like wrapped up in plastic or whatever just outside. It is really powerful. And they are two weeks ahead of us. And you wonder, are we two weeks away from that? I am, I'm scared. I really am, you guys, and I'm not trying to fearmonger. I'm not trying to incite some kind of panic. But please, be smart about this. Don't be cavalier about it. You know, and I, I hate it. I hate what happened with the MHSA today. I hate what happened with the NCA yesterday that fans are not going to be allowed to watch these events, to watch games. They are breaking up large crowds and trying to stop the spread. And I hate that. I do. I I totally get that, but I don't hate the decision. I hate the fact that there are going to be empty venues 
and people's careers will come to an end, whether it be high school, college, maybe even Vince Carter and some others in the pros, people's careers will come to an end without their family and loved ones being there. That's what I hate about this, but I don't hate the decision because I get it. There have been a lot of people that have been fortunate enough to recover from this, that there is a high recovery rate for people who do get infected with the coronavirus. I get that. But Italy right now is in a situation where they were not on top of this. They continued on with their daily life. And their hospitals are so overrun right now. They are being advised not to treat elderly patients in Italy right now. That's why we're doing this. That's why we are breaking up large events and having these spectator bands and sporting events like we like we are right now. Very unprecedented. So we don't get to that point like Italy. So we can stop the spread. We can contain the contagion enough where our hospitals are not overrun. By the way, say a prayer for all the doctors and nurses you know out there too. Because they are on the front lines of this and they are, I'm sure they're terrified as they go to work every day. And they wonder, could this affect my loved ones or any of my other patients? It goes well beyond sports. And what's happening here, you know, th- this is the thing for me. And I know we're coming up on a break and I, I do want to get to preview in some basketball tonight. Uh, it, sports have always been a thing that have distracted us, that have been a safe place when things go wrong. Whether it be you just having a bad day at work or something as tragic as 9-11. A month later, President Bush is on the mound at Yankee Stadium. He splits the strike zone. Just hum that thing in there. No matter what your beliefs are, you can't tell me you didn't feel good in that moment. Sports have always been a distraction for us when everything goes wrong, when everything is unfamiliar. Sports have always been there for us. And what happens when the thing that's always been there for us, that's been a distraction for us, something we can turn to, what happens when that's taken away? And I get it. I I get the decisions made by several organizations around the country to limit spectators to their events. I get that. And honestly, I support it. That doesn't mean I don't hate the fact that it's happening. I tell you what, we are coming up on a break. I do want to get to something lighter, something a little bit more easy to talk about. Still to come in the show, we're going to preview the girls basketball postseason matchups coming up tonight, and then we will recap the boys matchups. All that and more coming up here in ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Six UP girls basketball teams will take the floor tonight, all hoping to advance to the Elite Eight in their respective divisions. We'll start with Westwood because we've got their game tonight here on ESPN-UP when they take on the Charlevoix Raiders, a rematch of last year's Region 17 championship game, and it's fitting that it's in the Sioux, just like it was last year. Westwood comes into that game with a record 22-2. and Charlevoix is 19-5. and Now, I tell you what, the record 
you can look at that and pretty much throw it out the window. Westwood, I'm not saying that Westwood hasn't played a competitive schedule, and I'm not saying that Charlevoix has played a better schedule than Westwood has, but it's tournament time, and you throw those records out. You know, it's the old cliche. I want to go a little deeper than that old cliche because Charlevoix just flat out has gamers. From my research, my prep, getting ready for this squad, I know Kurt, uh, Corcoran would be telling you the same thing, Westwood head coach, that Charlevoix just got gamers. They've got athletes. They have got a Division One basketball commit. They've actually got two Division One athletes on that roster. They've got uh, certainly Elise Stuck, who is going to play at Michigan next year, a six foot two, I believe she is, post player. That is going to Michigan, and she just got back from an ACL tear, signed with Michigan last July, and her first game since tearing her ACL was February 28th in the regular season finale in which they destroyed St. Francis. I think it was like 45-11 to to claim their conference championship, and they won that with an undefeated record. So she's going to Michigan. Westwood saw her last year. She causes problems. She really does. And Westwood's going to have their hands full with her tonight. She's got a good mid-range game, I tell you what. But Westwood's got some pretty darn good players who can step up and defend the post as well. But I mentioned that they have two Division One athletes on that squad. They've also got a senior who will be playing soccer for Memphis next year. She is committed to the women's soccer team at the University of Memphis. They've got a third player, their point guard, that is going to play basketball at Lawrence Tech next year. So they got gamers on this squad, as they will. Any team will whenever you get to this point in the season. Everybody's going to have gamers. Now, Westwood won this game last year 47-29. to What I remember from that game is that Westwood got off to a fast start. I mean, it was a really hot start for them. They did well out of the gate. And then Charlevoix started narrowing the deficit. They got within five at one point in the third quarter. I think they started the second half just about as well as Westwood started the first half. And they got within five. And from there, Westwood went on. I think it was a 15 nothing run. And the lead never dipped below single digits after that. That would push Westwood below the bridge onto the state quarterfinals. So the Patriots go for back-to-back regional titles tonight. They are one of only... Six teams left here in the UP. We had 11 district champions out of the UP in girls basketball. There are six remaining. Other games happening tonight as UP teams try to claim as many regional titles as they can. We've got the Sioux, aforementioned. They're going to be hosting Westwood, and at least their school is. The Sioux girls basketball team will be downstate taking on Cadillac. That game is going to be played in Gaylord. Elsewhere, the other four UP girls teams still alive are going to be playing each other as part of two different matchups. St. Ignace will take on Engadine. That game is in Pelston. And then Barriga will battle Lance. That game was originally scheduled for Kingsford. It is now going to be played at Michigan Tech. So let's break down a few more of these matchups. You know, we gave you the primer on Westwood, and I, I guess we, we gave you the primer on Westwood's opponent. You know about Westwood by now. You know what Maddie Kosky, Tessa Lees, Carly Patron, Natalie Prophet, all the others can bring to the table. We uh, told you a little bit about Charlevoix. Let's dive into a few other of these matchups. Let's start with the matchup that's going to be taking place at Michigan Tech tonight, where you've got Lotz squaring off with Barriga. It'll be the third time they've met this year, basically a battle for the Copper Country in Division 4. On December 19th, they played at Barriga, and the Vikings won that game 57-41. to They rematched in Lotz on January the 30th, and that time the Purple Hornets returned the favor with a 51-44 to victory. Lotz comes into this game at 20-4. Meanwhile, Barriga is 21-3. They're 
path through the postseason. Well, for Lance, they beat Ontonagon 42-37, then a 67-32 victory over Watersmeet, and they won their district with a 39-34 win over Ewan Trout Creek, and then most recently a 53-47 win over Kearney Nado in the regional semifinals. On the other side for Berga, their path to get where they are, they opened the postseason at Dollar Bay, and they thrashed the Blue Bolts for a 77-20 victory. Then they hosted Jeffers the following uh, Wednesday, and they won 38-22, and then won the district with a 52-26 triumph over Chassel. They got Munising in the regional semifinals. They were looking to play that role of Cinderella, you know, since Gladstone's been knocked out. They wanted to be the UP Cinderella but it was the Vikings who came away with a 51-49 victory to get to this point in the season. Honestly, this is a toss-up game. It really is. I, I, I have not seen these two teams yet this year. I do think it's a toss-up game. I really wouldn't be surprised if it went either way. I do think the best player in the floor is going to belong to Lots with Maya Rice. I think, though, I have got to... Really, for not much of a reason other than the level of dominance in their win. I know they split their two wins, but I thought Barriga was more dominant in their win than Lance was in their win over the Vikings. So for that reasoning, I don't know if that's that qualifies as logic or not. My pick tonight is going to be Barriga to win their region and advance to the state quarterfinals. How about the other game in Division 4 involving UP teams? Well, you've got St. Ignace taking on Engadine. Wasn't this supposed to be a down year for the Saints? And nobody told them that. They are 21-2. and They are trying to advance to the state quarterfinals for a second straight year. Of course, their year ended in the state championship game last year at Calvin College. Here's what their run through the postseason looks like. They opened it taking on Cedarville with a 70-45 to win. Then they cruised past Mackinac Island 74-13, to and they won the district by taking down Pickford 74-49, to and then won their regional opener with Posen as they got that win 65 to 23. You look at some of their scores this year. And they, I mean, yeah, they're impressive. You have a 71 to 26 victory over Newberry and 83 13 win over Roger City. 70 to 48. They beat Pickford early in the year. 78 27. I see on here. I think I'm more impressed though with the strength of schedule. I mean, they've got some quality wins. They beat Sault Ste. Marie, who is I mean, that's their only loss, Sault Ste. Marie, who's one game away from going to the state quarterfinals, two divisions up from St. Ignace. They beat them 40-37 to back on December the 20th. They beat Charlevoix twice, who Westwood is going to play tonight. They beat them 61-37 to to open the season back on December 6th. And then they played them again on February 4th, and they won that game 50 50- to 36. So they've got some strong wins on the year, St. Ignace. They really do. And yeah, they were supposed to have a little bit of a down year, take a little bit of a step back. And that just hasn't been the case as the Saints look like they are very much en route to head down to the Breslin Center to get back to the Final Four again. Their two losses this year, one of them came to an Ann Arbor team, Ann Arbor Pioneer. They lost 45-42 back on December 29th. That was his uh, part of a holiday tournament. Their other loss came to the Sioux in their most recent matchup. They split their two meetings with the Sioux this year. That was on uh, February the 6th, and they lost that game 43-29. to How about on the other side for Engadine, who comes into this game with a record of 16-6? and They're a Cinderella run in their own right, as they probably weren't picked by a lot of people to get this far. They opened the postseason with a bye, and then they took down Brimley 50-32 to in the district semifinals, and then they won the district at 
Rudyard 55-49. to They won their regional semifinal over Mackinac City rather handily 64-29. to Now, Engadine, you look at their strength of schedule, not nearly as impressive. I'm not saying that they don't have some quality wins because they certainly do on here. They got a 66-29 win over Munising, who I get their record wasn't outstanding, but they were still a tough team, and they showed that uh, by how far that they got, winning their district and getting into the regional tournament. They've got a few quality wins on here, but the strength of schedule just is not what you're going to get from St. Ignace. Now, they do have the best player in the Eastern UP Conference with Sophia Vaughn, who reached the 1,000 career scoring mark earlier this year, averaging 21.5 points per game, four steals per contest for her as well. I mean, she is going to be a problem for St. Ignace, and Engadine will go as far as Vaughn can take her, I just don't see that as being enough to beat St. Ignace. I'm going with the Saints in this one. I have them prevailing over Engadine and moving on to the state quarterfinals. But our final game involving a UP team tonight, Sault Ste. Marie going downstate again. They're playing at Gaylord against Cadillac. The Sioux... 21 and 1 this season. Their only loss this year coming to St. Ignace. The aforementioned game against St. Ignace back on December the 20th. Since then, nothing but W's through the postseason tournament. They opened up at Grayling, came away with a 60 to 9 victory. 60 to 9 over Grayling to open up the postseason. Then in the district semifinals, they took on Boyne City, won that game 55-26, and they won the district with a victory over Kingsley 58-43. They played Escanaba to open up regional play, and that was a game where by all accounts, the Sioux just didn't play very good. And won, and won by double digits, 62-51. to 51. They get the win over Eski, who I get. They have a sophomore and a couple of freshmen in their lineup. They were probably playing with house money by that point. Everyone thought it was going to be Menominee getting out of that district and getting to that point, maybe even getting downstate. I don't think a lot of people would have penciled in Escanaba. And the Sioux just didn't play very well in that game. Teams find ways to win. They find ways to win ugly, and that's what they did. They can't do that against Cadillac. I mean, it was able to work the other night. They're not going to get that to go for them twice now, as they've got a really good Cadillac team that uh, is next on the schedule. Am I saying the Sioux can't win this game? Absolutely not. In fact, I, I... I wouldn't be surprised either way, Cadillac or the Sioux, because Cadillac comes in with just one loss on the year, and that came to Maple City, Glen Lake on the road, 43-37 back on February the 10th, and Glen Lake is going to be playing for a regional title in Division Three tonight. They, uh, they're a team that could meet Westwood with a win, and a Westwood win they would meet in the state quarterfinals Tuesday in Gaylord. But the postseason trail for Cadillac has looked like this. They beat Ludington at home to open up the districts 43-39, they beat Reed City 48-23 and then won the district, taking down Big Rapids 35-31. They opened up the region with a 40-37 win over Standish-Sterling. So the, the strength of schedule, it might be better a little bit with Cadillac. It might be slightly better. It's got to be tough scheduling if you're Sault Ste. Marie. You try to play schools of similar size, but that means a lot of downstate trips. That means teams coming up to you. You're just you're kind of isolated way up there by the border. Cadillac, though, their strength of schedule might be better. They uh, they have come pretty darn close to getting knocked off and seeing their season end. And let's just say they're on their ninth life. Uh, the Sioux coming into this game again didn't play all that well against Escanaba. Look for them to bounce back. I think I am going to go with the Sioux in this one. Maybe it's because I'm hoping 
for the UP team. I, I'm cheering for the Upers and hoping that they win, uh, especially against downstate teams. But I'm going to go with the Sioux in this one to take down Cadillac, who, by the way, took down Menominee to win their region last year. Cadillac made it to the state quarterfinals last year with a record of 21-4. and That included a 55-51 victory over Menominee in the regional final. That is your primer for tonight. Hope that gets you ready for girls basketball tonight. A few regional finals involving UP teams this evening. We will have Westwood taking on Charlevoix this evening at the Sioux. Pre-game set for 645 tip-off is at 7. Let's take a timeout. We'll talk about what we learned in boys' action, and we will preview tomorrow night's district finals next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN. UP and on the ESPN UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along. Boys basketball. We had a wild night last night setting up a plethora of district finals around the UP tomorrow. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, your Sports Center update. Mark Cuban has announced that he has plans in place for stadium workers who are no longer able to do their job due to NBA games being suspended. I thought that was exceptional to Mark Cuban. He unprovoked said he is going to take care financially of those who sell hot dogs, the peanut guy, the parking attendants at his stadium. He did that all unprovoked last night on ESPN. I give him a ton of credit for that, and I hope other teams and other organizations will follow suit soon hereafter. Nebraska men's basketball head coach Fred Hoiberg left before the conclusion of last night's Big Ten tournament game against Indiana. He was hospitalized with flu-like symptoms. He was diagnosed with influenza A. And finally, it is illegal in the town of Goodyear, Arizona to spit in public. Offenders can be punished with a $2,500 fine. That doesn't seem so crazy now this week, though, and what's been going on here. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along here as we get set for Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball tonight here in ESPN UP. We'll get the pregame going probably about 640, 645, something like that, with tip off set for seven. Now we've got a lot of boys action to recap from last night. What a wild night of basketball here in the UP. And we can start, well, let's start with Division One and we'll work our way down to D four, where Marquette rallied after trailing twenty to nine at the end of one quarter. At halftime they were down thirty to nineteen. They rallied and won at the buzzer last night over Gaylord sixty to fifty seven as Cam Carp, the GNC player of the year, continues to be a shining hero for Marquette. He knocks down the tray at the the buzzer to give Marquette the comfort behind victory against Gaylord. Now they head downstate and they'll take on Traverse City Central tomorrow night in the district final matchup. A few Division II matchups around the UP. Menominee picked up a 54-41 win over Gladstone. Very rarely do you see Gladstone held to a score that low. And I credit Menominee in the defensive effort they were able to put on display last night. Keegan Monroe continues to be one of the best athletes in the UP. But Gladstone is a team that allows a lot of points, but they score a lot of points too. They're essentially the Dallas Mavericks of the UP. They like getting in fast-paced, high-scoring games. And last night, it's kind of a weird, unusual score to see them held to something as low as 41. Meanwhile, Escanaba picked up a 68-57 win over Kingsford. They're moving on to their district final. The Eskimos ranked fourth in the final UPSSA poll, and they're going to keep their season going. You know, they've got a good team. They really do. They're well-coached. They've got several players who can play at the next level. In some way, shape, or form, at some level, they can certainly play there. 
You had the Sioux falling in Division Two last night. They were taken down by Kingsley to play that game downstate in Gaylord, falling by a score of 64-35. to A couple uh, Division Three districts up here in the UP. We had a thriller last night here in ESPN-UP where Munising took down Westwood 38-33 in overtime. Westwood led by as many as seven in the fourth quarter of that game at 24-17. Munising came rallying back. They got within, I think, they got within two at 28-26 in the final minute, and then Westwood split a pair of free throw attempts, coming the other end, uh, trailing by three. Munising knocked down a three-pointer with eight seconds left. It was the only made three-pointer of the entire night for either team. It was such a weird, unique game, unlike one I've really ever seen or called before, and the only three-pointer of the ball game comes with eight seconds left, and it helps Munising force overtime, uh, tied at 29. Westwood took the first lead in the extra session, but it was pretty much all Mustangs after that. And they are moving on as they pick up their 20th win. They'll draw Nagani, who really didn't have much trouble after the first four minutes of the game. They took down Gwynn 66-33, and the Miners are one win away from repeating as district champions. Over in the neighboring district in Division Three, Iron Mountain over Ironwood 87 to 49. I mean, Ironwood hung around for a little bit, at least as well as you can against Iron Mountain, but the Mountaineers get their second straight win over Ironwood in postseason play, and they're going on to the district final where they will face Calumet, who topped Lance 50 to 40 last night. Calumet and Iron Mountain actually faced on opening night, and it was a 30 point win for the Mountaineers. It'll be interesting to see tomorrow. Now, that's one I'm really going to keep an eye on to see what is different since meeting up back in the first week of December. Now, three months later, they are playing again with their seasons on the line. To me, that's going to be one that I'm really going to keep an eye on. Uh, that's going to be of interest to me, and I'm sure to a lot of our listeners up here. In Division 4, Chassel picked up a 69-33 win over Barriga. They didn't really have many problems as Chassel moves to 2-0 in the postseason, and they will play for a district championship in Division 4. Dollar Bay survived an upset bid from Jeffers 66-57. to Jeffers had a one-point lead going into the fourth quarter at 45-44, to if I'm not mistaken. Dollar Bay, a team that went to the state semifinals last year they suffered a couple of late season losses that I don't think a lot of people were expecting then they come into the postseason and nearly get bounced by Jeffers but the Blue Bolts have enough and they're moving on of course Bessemer defeated Watersmeet by forfeit that game was not played yesterday it was forfeited by Watersmeet it was set to host the game they have canceled classes until Monday citing that they need to sanitize the building due to illness. That was a statement available on their website, and they had no further comment beyond that. Ewan Trout Creek winners over Ontonagon 57-45 to move to the district final there. North Central beat North Dickinson 64-33. Not a whole lot of problems for Central as they come out with a victory. Carney Nado, that was a good one with Stevenson. They pick up the victory 56-50. Hanneville winners over Midpen 72-55. Over in the Eastern UP, Engadine winners over Ojibwe Charter, and they really didn't have any problems there. 73-27 is the final score. Cedarville picked up a 57-45 win over Mackinac City. Pickford rolls over Mackinac Island 76-13. Rudyard wins a thriller against Newberry 54-53. And St. Ignace taken down by Charlevoix 70-32 in that district semifinal in division four so that was a look around the boys slate from last night boys basketball here in the up and it sets up some really compelling matchups coming up tomorrow night 
for uh, for the Division One tournament. Of course, we're going to be watching that one with Marquette Downstate taking on a really good Traverse City Central team. They played down at that gymnasium, the venue for tomorrow night's district final back in January, January 24th, and Central won that game 65-55. to Now they rematch after a uh, path to the postseason for Central that included wins over Alpena 61-48 and Traverse City West 47-37. to That's going to be a competitive one and that's one I'm excited to uh, watch for and keep an eye on in uh, Division Two. Menominee and Escanaba. I mean, those two teams, it, they're they're kind of it's weird because they almost blend contrasting styles, if that makes sense. Like they mirror each other in some ways, but they they go about it differently, like how they handle it and everything. I, it's hard to explain, but when those two match up, it's a really fun basketball game to watch. So that's going to be one that I'm going to be tuned into tomorrow night with Menominee and Eski. In Division Three, of course, well, both those matchups are compelling. I said it earlier with Iron Mountain. You're going to want to see, can Calumet give them a run here down the stretch? Can March Madness strike? in the district final after picking up a 30-point victory over the Copper Kings earlier this year. Oh, that was back on day one. That was game number one. Could things be different? Could guys like McParlin, Torla, that Calumet boasts, could they make a serious run at Iron Mountain? We saw Iron Mountain's not invincible. They got beat at the buzzer by Nagani a couple of weeks ago. They're not invincible, and I wonder how much that's on everyone's mind going into tomorrow night's matchup. And then, of course, Nagani, Munising. I've covered both those teams this year. I've seen them both play. I, I tell you what, uh, I do have Nagani winning that one. You know, Munising, to their credit, they have won 20 wins this year. Overall, they just they don't shoot the ball well enough, or at least not from what I saw, making only one three-pointer in the game. You can get away with that once. You can't get away with it twice in a tournament, especially not against a team as good as Nagani. So I do think the Miners win that game. Uh, for me, I'm interested to see by how much, by what is the final margin. And then in Division Four, you know, I'm really interested. Can Dollar Bay continue to keep their season going? I mean, they've been tested here the last couple of weeks. They've lost two games that they probably shouldn't have lost. I mean, it really feels like any game until you get downstate, Dollar Bay should win. And they nearly were upset by Jeffers last night. So to me, it's can they get things figured out and keep things going back down to the Breslin Center for the state tournament. With that, let's take a time out. When we come back, I've got some thoughts on the Brady Hunch. We're going to continue on. I want to share those thoughts with you. If Brady does leave... Who could be the heir apparent to the throne? Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, it's available on demand with the Sports Pen Podcast. Get it by getting our free mobile app from the Apple Live Store or Google Play or check out ESPNUP.com. A reminder, we've got Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball tonight, a chance to move downstate for the state quarterfinals. Westwood will be taking on Charlevoix this evening in Sault Ste. Marie. Pre-game set for 645, tip-off set for 7. It's my hope that you join us for that. Well, I tell you what, I want to get to... This Tom Brady topic, because we are getting closer to TB Day, to 
Tom Brady Day and when he will finally make his decision. Is he going? Is he staying in New England? If he goes, where should he go? If he does go, then who's going to replace him? Who's the heir apparent to the throne? I've got some thoughts on that I'm going to share with you. First, though, I want to start with this Robbie Anderson sound. Robbie Anderson, wide receiver for the New York Jets, about to hit the free agent market as of Monday. He was on Golick and Wingo yesterday morning, and they talked to him about his ranking, or at least his place among the current free agents and those who are about to become free agents. They asked him, where do you see yourself among this class? Listen to this. They have, we, we have a list of ESPN of the top 100 free agents available. Mm-hmm. And we have you listed as the third best wide receiver mm-hmm. free, uh, free agent behind A.J. Green and Amari Cooper. You okay with that? Man, I'm number one. There it is. There ah, it is. That's what I love. It's very soft, but did you hear that? He says, I'm number one in response to him being ranked third by ESPN as far as wide receivers in this free agent class behind Amari Cooper and A.J. Green. Listen closely. Man, I'm number one. I'm number one is what Robbie Anderson believes as far as him being the top wide receiver in this year's free agency class, even above Amari Cooper, even above A.J. Green. When I think of Robbie Anderson, the first thing that comes to mind is not his on-field performance. Because he does have talent. I don't agree that he thinks he is the number one receiver. I I don't agree with that. and I, I don't even know if he agrees with it. I don't know that there's many people out there who would agree that Robbie Anderson is the premier wide receiver you could pick up this offseason. That's not what I think of, though, when I think of Robbie Anderson. What I think of was his arrest in South Florida a couple of years ago when he was pulled over going 105 miles an hour in a 45 speed limit zone. He evaded police, ended up getting nine charges against him because after the fact, he sexually threatened the arresting officer's wife. And I I cannot come close to repeating what he said on air. And I really wouldn't even like to do it in private life. I'll let you look that up for yourself. And then started bragging about how much money he has and told the cop that he was only trying to ruin his fun. That's what I think of Robbie Anderson. I mean, he's just, I don't know why you would go through the headaches for a guy who, I mean, he's probably more talented. I'll give him that. He's probably more talented than he's had the ability to show because he's never had a great quarterback throw into him. I mean, he's been working with Sam Darnold here the last few years. He's probably better than what we've seen. He's probably got more talent than we've seen. I will give him that. But to me, he's not some elite dynamic talent that is going to make or break a franchise, that is going to move the needle for a squad to the point where they're moving one step up, whether that's playoff contenders, Super Bowl contenders, fringe playoff teams, what have you. He's not the guy that I think of as moving the needle, and he comes with a lot of headaches and a lot of baggage to me. Robbie Anderson is just not someone I want to pursue this offseason. I tell you what, Tom Brady, though, is someone that a lot of people want to pursue this offseason. And Monday, he will formally announce whether he is staying in New England or he is going to seek to leave via free agency at age 43 and play another NFL season. But he could do it away from the greatest coach of all time. Now, Tom has always been a smart quarterback, and he's a leader. Those are his two best qualities. But he has never been the type of guy that has to make the thread-the-needle type of throw, the long throw down. He doesn't have a cannon of an arm, especially right now. And really, it is, in his prime, he never really did. 
So now you're getting a 43-year-old quarterback. Bones are getting brittle. I mean, he just looked off last year with the greatest coach in the world, the greatest coach to ever coach the game. And you think that subtracting him, subtracting Bilicek, is going to improve a 43-year-old Tom Brady who was already showing signs of aging last year? I don't, and that's why the smart thing to do, well, probably would be to retire, but I get he's not going to let his last throw be a pick six. The smart thing to do in that case would be staying with New England. I don't believe you get better by subtracting Bilicek and adding another year of age on top of the year that statistically was probably your worst of your career last season. So that being said, because we want to speculate, we want a gas bag here at ESPN, what do you do if Tom Brady leaves? Who are your options if you're the New England Patriots? Well, to me, Tom needs them a lot more than they need him. I'm not going to bag on Tom Brady. But you remember a few years ago, broke his collarbone, Matt Castle came in, and the team went 11-5. and They won 11 games with career journeyman backup Matt Castle. I mean, Bilicek's system is incredible. It really is. And I think there are a lot of quarterbacks who could succeed in that system. It's just about finding the right one. You know, and I could rank, you know, my wish list. I, I thought about doing it. I thought about ranking potential quarterbacks to go to New England and replace Tom Brady if Brady decides to leave. Who would that be? Who would those top quarterbacks be? Honestly, it's hard to rank them. And I didn't rank them because I think there are a lot of quarterbacks. I think there's too many that could make it work in Bilicek's system. So that's why I decided to go with the top three. I've got three quarterbacks in mind that I believe are going to bring the right mix of talent and ability to adapt to Bill Belichick's system. And I think my number one guy, just I got to go with the default answer, the guy who I believe is the most talented free agent, or at least talented guy who could be on the move this offseason, and that'd be Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, could you imagine Teddy Bridgewater in New England? He would bring... That element of athleticism Tom Brady really never had. I mean, Tom Brady was a pocket passer, and that's fine. You can clearly win with a pocket passer. That's fine. But you think about that extra amount of athleticism coupled with Bill Belichick and his coaching ability. Think about Teddy Bridgewater as the New England Patriots quarterback. Or don't, because I don't want to think about that. I I, kind of hope Bridgewater doesn't go to New England. Because you think about that Patriot team and Bridgewater's ability to extend a play. I mean, that's not what he's known for. He's no Lamar Jackson, but he certainly brings an added element of athleticism Tom Brady did not. Another quarterback that would do really well in New England, I'd say Garner Minshew. I mean, everybody knows how high I am on Garner Minshew, and yet Jacksonville just doesn't seem to be that in love with him. They're not in love with him the way I am. And they're looking at moving on potentially from Minshew. If they get the opportunity, they will take a different quarterback. And I tell you what, if he went to New England, think about him with Bill Jack. We saw flashes of greatness. I mean, we really did. We saw some really, really good games from Minshew this year. Plus, you know, he's weird. He warms up and only his jock strap in the locker room, not on field, but in the locker room, he's stretching out in his jock strap. He's got the mustache, the headband. He's weird. That's what makes him so compelling I guess would be the right word is that you like that about the guy and then he's actually talented but you put him in a system that has benefited I would say quarterbacks it has benefited quarterbacks multiple quarterbacks throughout the Belichick era Brady and Castle as well as Jimmy Garoppolo when he was there and Jacoby Brissett found success when he was there so you would think about taking a guy who's already shown flashes of being 
uh, top half quarterback in the league. I'm not saying Minshew is, but he's looked like that multiple times this uh, past season as a rookie, as a six-round draft pick who was not supposed to be anywhere near the starting job. And you think if he went to New England, plus the ways you could market that, I mean, New England might actually get some more fans. They, they wouldn't become the evil empire of the NFL if you can get a fan favorite out there, the trendy mustache of Minshew. And the third quarterback that I think would be among my top three for the New England Patriots would be Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I said it on the show Monday. He would be a bridge guy. He's not a long-term option. But if you like what you have in Jared Stidham, you think he maybe needs another year or two, maybe you like somebody later in the draft, or at least that's coming up in the draft here in the next couple of years is what I mean by that. Maybe you get Fitzpatrick there to kind of bridge the gap. Now, he puts up prolific offensive numbers. Unfortunately, the uh, turnover part, the interceptions, are what's hurting him. He's like an older version of Jameis Winston. Now, I, I don't think Jameis Winston would be a great fit in New England. Uh, that's more of an attitude thing. Uh, that's more of personalities clashing. Jameis and Bill Belichick are just not two guys that are going to go out and get a beer together. I mean, those guys are not going to be friends on the weekend. Ryan Fitzpatrick might be, though. Ryan Fitzpatrick has got a lot of talent for all of his faults, for his turnovers, what have you. Pair him with Belichick... And you just might have something there. I mean, he puts up really darn good offensive numbers. He just does it with a lot of turnover. It's such a reckless, inefficient style. But you think you pair him up with Bilicek and McDaniels. And you think how much more proficient he could be. Those are my top three as far as quarterbacks that New England should be pursuing this offseason if Tom Brady does decide to leave New England. I tell you what, there are a few other guys that I could have put up there. I think Nick Foles would be a possible guy that could go up there, although you don't want to get involved with that contract and what Jacksonville would still owe him. I think uh, Ryan Tannehill would be another good guy that he just came off a fantastic year. He might. The big question about Tannehill is how much did Derrick Henry benefit him? Because there's no runner like that, well, not just in New England, but not in the NFL. How much did Derrick Henry benefit Tannehill's comeback season, helping him win comeback player of the year? I I don't know. I can't answer that. That's why that unknown, that element of unknown, is what's holding me back as far as putting Tannehill in my top three. But, man, I, I really... I think Tannehill's got something there. I really do. I think he's got all the makings of being what a franchise is looking for in their QB going forward. With that... Let's call it a day. Glad to have you along here in ESPN. UP Tanner Hoops with you as we get set to sign off. Don't forget to join me here in just a bit for Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball, the regional final in the Sioux, taking on Charlotte Lavoie. I'll be there with the play-by-play. Jared Kosky will join me, and it's my hope that you join us. 6.45 is the pregame. 7 o'clock is the tip. Back on tomorrow, same time and place. Ryan Stieg will join me. We'll have all kinds of stuff to talk about. Always do. That's coming up tomorrow. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoop signing off for ESPN UPWZM Ishpeming Marquette.